Well, hello and welcome to today's message. I'm glad you could join us wherever you're tuning in from around the world. We're glad to have you today. Today I want to talk to us, I want to continue with our series on soul health. This has been such a powerful series about the the mind, the will and the emotions. And you say, well, why do you talk about the soul? Why not talk about the spirit? Because so often the soul is what's affecting the spirit man. The spirit man is always the highest priority. But for so many Christians, they are so soul-centered that the spirit man of them gets suppressed. So we need to talk about the emotions so we understand ourselves better. We can get better control of our emotions and we can submit our emotions to the spirit of God. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 11 and let's pick it up from uh, verse 34. So we're looking at soul health. Emotional intelligence, you know, emotional intelligence is a superpower if you can possess it. So Luke 11 verse 34 and it says, your eye, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it's unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that, you're, that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you're filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Now, what this scripture is telling us is that your eyes are the light to your body. Your eye gate. So, your eye is the light for your body. Now, we perceive things, think about this, we perceive things through our eyes. As soon as we look at things, our mind then kicks in. Now, think about this. If I was to blindfold you for a whole day, you emotionally and psychologically would be affected. Why? Because now you have nothing to focus on. Now your emotions and your, the way you think has to adjust because you no, have, you, no, you no longer have an eye gate. So it's showing us here that the eyes are key to our soul because as light comes through the eyes, it then begins to fill the rest of our body our mind, our, our emotions, all come into play through what we see. Now, I want you to pick this up with me, if you will. So the, eye, the eyes are essential. Now, I want you to pick up this word here. It says, though a floodlight were filling you with light. So if you're filled with light, where with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Now, let me pick up this word floodlight. There are conversations that you will have with people who have poor emotional intelligence. And when you say to them, how are you doing today? Now, some people will say, oh, not too bad. And you can see some people that they're not necessarily good. So you say, do you want to talk about it? They'll say, no, no. And you say, okay, fine. But there are others when you talk with them and you say, how are you doing? Straight away, there's no preamble. They're, whoom, they throw Everything comes at you. That's called floodlighting. Why do they call it floodlighting? Because you stand back and you go, whoa, like a rabbit, as a bit looking into the headlights. Their expression, their full volume of emotions is called floodlighting because it's like you think, wow, I only ask you how you're doing. So floodlighting is a real technical term for people who throw all their emotions on you and like you feel like you've been pinned to the wall because of the way they've just explained. Now, when you see people like that, the first thing you learn is never to ask them how they're, do- how they're doing because you know behind that question can be a barrage of feelings, of emotions. They're just waiting for someone like you to ask them how you're doing. So, if you're smart, you find other ways to find out what someone's doing. Well, it says here that your eyes are... So if you can see somebody, you can then begin to perceive. Maybe that's not the best question to ask. But make sure, it says, the light you think you have is not actually darkness. Now, this is, this is 
trouble for some people because the emotions deceive us. And because the emotions deceive us, we think we're right. So therefore, we think we've got light on something when actually it can be darkness. It's not light. And this is a real challenge because emotions lie and they deceive and they exaggerate. Wow, can you imagine? How are we supposed to perceive and discern things when emotions are exaggerating and lying? It's contrary to the things of the spirit. Because the spirit only tells us the truth. Where our emotions inflate, exaggerate and all kinds of things. And it says here, this... uh, If you are filled with light, with no dark corners, what does that mean? Blind spots. Or areas in your soul that you won't deal with. These are dark corners. Now in everyone's soul, there is and there are dark corners. And the Spirit of God has to shine its light so that those dark corners become exposed. That's why it says in in Hebrews, we'll get to that in a bit. Hebrews, it says, and it penetrates and exposes everything. So everything must give an account. Everything must give an account. Now there's dark areas of everybody's soul. So it's, it's indicative, should it? it's important, I should say, that we let the light shine into our soul. So every area is exposed before the Lord. So if you're filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant. So if you, have, if you can get rid of the dark corners of your soul, your whole life will be radiant, it says, as though a floodlight were filling you with light, so that the whole house is now filled with light. Isn't that awesome? Paul, understanding the seriousness of the eyes, begins to pray For the church in Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Wow. So the eyes of my heart, my heart has eyes. I have physical eyes, but my heart has eyes. It sees things. It captures things. It says, and Paul says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That means more light comes in. In order that you may know, that's the mind now, the hope of which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And he's a comparably great power for us who believe. So when the heart is enlightened, the mind is enlightened. And this is what Paul's praying, that you and me may be enlightened, the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we may know some stuff and that we can overrule how we may feel about some stuff. That's important. We can overrule what we feel by what we know. So, let's pick this up again. Go to uh, John 3. Sorry, 3 John. That's the John at the end of the Bible. Not, the, not, chapter, not John, uh, the Gospel of John. 3 John, chapter 1. 3 John, chapter 1. And listen to what he says here. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health. Now watch this now. And that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Let me say that again. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health. And that you may... and. and Sorry, and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well, or prospers, it says in, in, in one version. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness. Now watch, to the truth, and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, what I want you to observe with me here is how when John writes to Gaius, because in his letter he's writing to Gaius, who was one of the elders of the church, and, and he's saying this. He's given us some insight and understanding. Watch how he links good physical health with the health and prosperity of the soul. The first thing he says is, I pray that you, will, you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along or prospers. 
So he, he links good health, physical health first. Then he links it with soul health. And now the physical realm, so the physical body affects the soul realm and how the soul realm affects the physical uh, body. Uh, of, uh, sorry, the physical matter of your body. Now watch this. Notice that the physical health and the health and the prosperity of the soul is then linked, here's the key, to people walking in the truth. He starts off saying physical health, I wish you would have physical health. Then he talks about spiritual, sorry, soul health, how it prospers, and I'll break that down in a minute and show you what that means, and how it's now linked physical. So physically you feel well, soulistically you feel well, your mind, your will, and your emotions, and how that's linked now to how the believer walks in the truth, because it's the truth that sets you free. So he observes this, and he links these three things together. Now, if John sees these three things as being important, you and I must also see these things. Now, these are the kind of verses that most people miss, because how many people read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John? They might go to the Gospel of John. It's one of those small books that, that most people miss. And here he's given us a principle and a key to understanding that truth affects the soul and the soul affects the physical health. The physical health affects your soul and the soul will then affect whether you, you, you walk in the truth and remain in the truth. These three things are key for us to understand. The soul key. The more you walk in the truth, the more the truth will set you free. How does it set you free? It sets you free in health. It sets you free in forgiveness. It sets you free in so many areas. The truth is, is designed to fill every part of our life. Our mind, our physical health, our internal health, our spiritual health. Why? Because it's living and active. And it wants to be living and active in us. So watch this. Three, thing, every, three things every believer needs for their life is a healthy body. Now, why do you need a healthy body? Let me say this to you. Destiny, your destiny, my destiny, lives inside your body. Imagine everything that God's given to you in seed form has been given to you and it lives inside your body. So when you eat wrong, you sleep wrong and you live wrong, do you know what you're doing? You're putting your destiny under threat. Now you think, so many believers think it's God's, it's God's job to sort my destiny out and to fulfill it. I'm sorry, my friend, to disappoint you today that destiny lives inside of you. He gave you a body. It's your job to look after your body. God is not going to look after your body. Why do I know that? Because when you go and have your takeaway food or you're eating fatty foods, you never ask God whether you should eat that food. You just eat it and enjoy it. It's your job to take your body and go and get it exercised. It's not God's job. It's your body. You're the owner. You're the keeper. Right, so we need a healthy body. Why? Because destiny lives inside your body. So physically, you need to be healthy. Physically. Second, he says, a healthy soul. Now, remember we said the eye gate? Now that's the physical eye. Then there's the eyes of the heart. So both need light. Light. So the mind, the human will, those things... Inside us are called emotions inside the soul. Now, when you feel happy, you know the emotions can betray you and also betray you, I should say, and the emotions can be our best friend. They have a double, they have a positive and negative effect. But if you can control them, then your emotions will be more of a positive to you, they'll be more positive asset to you than they will be a negative asset. But you must control them. So, Maybe you're moody. Mm. Maybe you're passive. Maybe you're an angry person. Maybe you're an emotional person. Do you know what? All those I've just mentioned, they're all dangerous. They're all dangerous. If you're angry, get a grip. Submit that anger before the Lord. Acknowledge it. Go and get some help. Because there's some deep, there's some deep corner in your soul that's causing you to be angry. 
When certain things, certain environments, certain words are spoken, certain people do certain things, and all of a sudden, anger is the first emotion. Well, that is a dark corner. That's a reflection of a dark corner. It needs some light shining in there to expose it, to get it dealt with, and therefore, peace can flow in there instead of anger. So the soul is is so important to us because the soul, if it's not dealt with, if these dark corners, it will hide, it will draw back, it will drift, it will shift, and it will wander. And God says, walk in the light as I'm in the light. Then we can have fellowship with one another. So it's only as we walk in the light that God's word and his love and his presence can expose everything within us so that there's no dark corners. Amen? Then the last thing he says there, so... Uh, John's talking about the healthy body. Let me just go back to that verse. Uh, Dear friend, I pray that you enjoy good health. That's the physical body. And that all may go with you, even as your soul. So now we see the physical body. Then we see the soul. Then he says, and pick that up in verse 3. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth. And how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He didn't say listening to the truth. He didn't say hearing this truth. He said walking in the truth. There's a difference. So the last thing we see there is a healthy body, a healthy soul, and prosperity of the soul. Prosperity of the soul now is you walking and you see the benefits of that. It's the fruits. Because how... If we don't have a physical body, it will determine how we feel. If we have a healthy body, then the soul has a good place, a good foundation to lie on. Because now the body's not crying out, please release me, let me go. Take me for a walk. No, the physical body is good. Then the soul can sit there. And then it's, it's at rest with the body. Because the body and the soul are fighting each other. Now as you're walking in the truth, now the truth is the leader. Truth is now speaking to the soul. The soul is happy with the body and there's harmony inside of you. So there's not one key that fixes everything in life. We know that. We know Jesus is, is the answer. He's not a key. He is the answer. It's the difference. Now here's the thing. You and I must discover keys to cause our soul to prosper. There's not one answer. There's not one book except the scripture. Even in scripture you need keys. So... If we understand these keys, we understand our own soul and how to bring our soul into alignment, into the truth, and we know how to manage our soul. It's important. So the physical body needs a diet. It needs exercise. We know that. So if we feed the body right and we exercise it right, the body should come into health. Now, that's not, we know that's not the golden rule, but that is a good general rule. If the physical body is in good health, then the soul as I've just said, will also come into health. So we feed the body on with food. We feed the soul with food. We feed the spirit with food. I am amazed that just how many millennials, millennials suffer from depression, anxiety, and despondency. Young millennials, I see them all the time, suffer from anxiety, depression, and despondency. Now, that's something that's affecting them psychologically, it's affecting them emotionally, and it's affecting them spiritually. Now, behind those anxieties, there is room for right thinking. And if you can help them to think right, they can bring all that unrest in within them. They can bring it to a point of peace. People need perspective. And truth gives us perspective. So if we're going to help millennials get perspective, we need to show them how to organize their emotions, their perspectives, their filters have to be aligned with the truth. Now, the trouble is with the millennials, if I can say that, their minds are open to so many different things. Because they're young, their minds are open, but we have to show them how to bring things into alignment with what the truth is saying. Not by the opinions and projections 
of other people. So, because if we don't teach them, what's going to happen is they're going to be burnt out and worn out and fatigued and they're going to be good to nobody. So when, when a person individually, psychologically feels bad about themselves, what normally happens? Physically, spiritually, psychologically, the whole body starts to go into decay. We've got to be careful there. So I want to take you to 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You know, one of the most difficult things for any pastor is to keep encouraging his congregation to keep walking in the truth. It's, it's fundamental to the Christian life and to the Christian advancement, but it's such a difficult thing to keep people walking in the truth. But yet walking in the truth and keeping people walking in the truth is the one thing we must do. Yet it's the one thing we find difficult to do. So therefore, we have to ask ourselves, if we don't do it, we will for sure backslide. So we've got to keep on progressing into the truth. Now, many people exchange the truth for lies. Other people exchange faith for fear. Still others will exchange trust for doubt. And then you have people become, will exchange a consciousness, a conscience of work to a passive mentality. Now, when things are exchanged, lives begin to change. Light begins to no longer shine and expose, and dark corners begin to appear. Wow. The moment we exchange God's best, then light begins to be restricted and dark corners appear as shadows. That means there's part light, but yet there's still darkness. We want to get rid of the shadows. We just want light in our soul. We want light in our spirit. We want light in our minds. That's why Paul prays, I pray that the, heart, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope. So, we don't want to reduce the truth. We want to accelerate the truth inside of us. So how we govern our mind is crucial to the prosperity and to the health of our spirit, soul, the mind and the body. Let me say that again. How we govern our mind is crucial to the prosperity and to the health of our spirit and our soul and our body. Romans 12 verse 2. And Paul says this. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. This world has a way of thinking and it has a pattern in its thinking. Both the world and your mind has a pattern. And anybody who is secular minded will think like the world. But he says, don't be like that. No longer. So what he's trying to say is there's two ways of thinking. There is the secular way and there's the spiritual way. But he says, when the moment the truth comes into you, the old way has to stop. But so many Christians stay with the old way. They're happy to receive Christ, but they don't transform the mind. And because the mind doesn't change, the eye gate doesn't change, and therefore light cannot shine into the soul and realign the soul. So what he says is, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But by the transfor- sorry, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind is key to your soul. Your mind lives in two dimensions. Your mind lives in this world. And your mind can focus on the things of God. So, let me say this to you. Heaven is only one thought away. Heaven, all of heaven and the door and the access point to heaven is just one thought away. Why is it one thought away? Because the moment you focus your mind on heaven, all heaven now has a passageway it can come through. All it needs is a door. So heaven is only one thought away. So your mind has to be focused so that heaven can pass through it. So 
let's look what it says here in Romans 12 verse 2 let's pick let's carry on this verse then you'll be able to test then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is then you'll be able to test and approve you'll be able to discern and conclude Testing is one thing, approving is another thing else. Now, you can't do this if your emotions are all over the place. God's will, he's good, watch his will, uh, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. He's good, he's pleasing, and he's perfect will. You can't do this if all is not well within your soul. You need light to be able to test and approve. You don't need confusion. You can't test and approve God's perfect, pleasing, acceptable will if there's dark corners because the darkness will wants to keep you in dark. So he wants to keep you in darkness. Watch this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of it, don't think, don't think of yourself more highly. See, that's that's there's pride. Now pride comes from the soul. How you think will then release something inside your emotions. Don't think of yourself more uh, highly than, or, than others, but rather think of yourself more so, with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given to you. By the, by the grace that God gives you, he gives the ability to think in a certain way. Now, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. So we've just seen from Romans here that there's a pattern God wants us to get rid of. And there's a new way he wants us to uh, adopt. So we can test and approve what God's pleasing is perfect and is acceptable. And he says, don't think of yourself more highly. In other words, stay humble, stay humble. But now 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this. Now we demolish arguments. Now I don't know about you, but inside my head there's an argument every day. Shall I do this or shan't I do this? Shall I surrender or shall, uh, shall I rebel? Shall, shall, shall. And there's this internal conversation that goes on in my soul between my spirit every day. And I know it goes on in yours. So he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. I know some battles that goes on inside me I go strictly against the knowledge of God. So I have to take my will... And I have to take the will of the Father and I know what's pleasing and acceptable and I have to submit to God's will. And that takes a war within my soul and, and if I'm emotionally all over the place, guess who's going to win? Or best, better still, let me rephrase the question, guess which one will lose? So it says here, and we take every captive, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Take every thought, every capture, every emotion. Now here's the killer. What he's going to say next is going to be the deciding point. Watch this in verse 6. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is made complete. We can't pull down strongholds. We can't pull arguments, pretensions we can't deal with these things that set themselves up inside of us against what God's will is, his perfect, his pleasing, his acceptable will. We can never pull those things down until your obedience is first made complete. The key to all that is you. So many Christians are trying to deal with all that stuff where in, them, in themselves and in their soul and in their thinking, they're not submitted. Wow. You can't pull something down and destroy it if inside you, you're not submitted. Wow. So, once your obedience is made complete. So Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 10. I want to show you something about the emotions. So once... 2 Corinthians 10, 5 kicks in. We demolish arguments and every pretension that self sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. And we, and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is made complete. Now let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1 and see what 
God said to Jeremiah, now, Jeremiah is being given his assignment here. In, before we read this, he's been given his assignment. God is speaking to this young man. But I want to draw a parallel to what Jeremiah is being told and his assignment with your soul and my soul. So let's keep that in context. God is speaking to Jeremiah about his assignment. But I want to speak to you and, and show you how this also applies, can apply to your inward kingdom. So today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms. So I appoint you. So God wants you over nations and kingdoms. This is what he's saying here. Now, let's just, just stop there for a second. Let's consider that internally inside of you is a kingdom. We know the kingdom of God is within us. So there's proof that there's a kingdom within us. Now let's say that the world is also a kingdom. It's the world of man. It's the kingdom of man. And the kingdom of God is meant to invade, subdue and overthrow the kingdom of man. So therefore the manifestation of God and the kingdom of God is felt everywhere. So the glory of God fills the whole earth. Right. So now we've got this perspective of kingdoms. Now let's look at all that's within you in a soulistic sense as a kingdom because kingdoms rise up against kingdoms but the kingdom of God within you is greater than the kingdom of man that's also within you there is two natures there's the old nature which is a kingdom there is the new nature which is the kingdom of God now you must get control of your inner kingdom now watch this so he says to Jeremiah, so I appoint you over nations and kingdoms. Now watch, he says, to uproot, to tear down, to destroy and overthrow. Now we know he's talking about physical kingdoms, geographical kingdoms. I'm talking to you about internal kingdoms. The first place, you, before, you can't lead anyone unless you can lead yourself. You can't advance anywhere unless you can advance yourself. Now watch this. So he says, to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and to plan. And the word of the Lord came to me, what do you see? So I'm asking you today, what do you see from that verse? Do you see that within you there is a kingdom that needs subduing and there's a kingdom that needs advancing? If one is to advance, the other one needs to be subdued. And the one that is the stronger emphasis inside you will do the advancing or the subduing. So then he says this, Jeremiah. So we, I want you to see that unhealthy emotions are a kingdom that needs to be, watch this, uprooted. If there's dark corners and there's kingdoms that are governing your mind and your will and your emotions, if there's, if there's dark kingdoms that inside of you that makes you angry, passive, emotional, lazy, ignorant, if there's those things within you, they need subduing and they need uprooting. Now, Emotionally, psycho uh, psychologically, the kingdom needs, if that's your kingdom, it needs not only uprooting, it needs tearing down. Now, if it needs tearing down, watch this, uprooting is one thing, tearing down is another thing. But emotionally, psychologically, the, your kingdom and its feelings and its obstacles needs destroying. It can only be destroyed, uprooted, torn down and destroyed by you walking in the truth. Not by you hearing the truth. Not by you listening and, and reading a little here and a little there, but by you walking. In other words, you applying, putting it into your life, letting it enter into your life. You dealing with some stuff, letting the light shine. You submitting in some areas, acknowledging you're wrong, acknowledging you might be broken in some areas and therefore you might need healing and restoring in some areas. If you take responsibility about that and the truth will come and the truth will come and set you free. And by process alone, God will walk you out of the dark areas through the light. So once you destroy it, what happens? You then begin to overthrow in other words, there's a new landlord. It's called the Holy Spirit. There's a new governor in town. It's called the Holy Spirit. Now the governor wants to govern your mind. He wants to govern your heart. He wants to govern your emotions. So there's a new governor. It's called the Holy Spirit. 
And so when you, what you, when you destroy, then you overthrow. And the last thing, or so the last two principles, watch this. So now you've torn down, you've uprooted, you've torn down, you've destroyed, now you're overthrowing. Now the next thing you need to do is you need to build. So you clear the line. If they wanted to knock this building down, the first thing the JCB would do would come down, knock it down, destroy it, and then they would begin to rebuild. They would rebuild on the same site. That's what the Holy Spirit did when Christ forgave you and you repented and, and you accepted Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit came in. He said, right, let's uproot some stuff. Let's tear it down. Let's destroy. Let's overthrow. Now let's rebuild. How do we rebuild? The last principle. We replant. We plant. So the last thing he says to Jeremiah, he says, uh, nations uproot, um, destroy, overthrow, to build and to plant. We replant. We plant new seeds. So this is a process. If you want to uproot, you've got to, if you want to see this whole thing change inside you, you've got to uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow, build and plant. Plant new thoughts. Plant new emotions. Plant new feelings. Plant new perspective. Plant new hope inside of you. All that is a process and it happens by you walking in the truth. You see, the physical health, what John said, the soul health, and then there was the walking in the truth. These three things are linked together by the walked in the truth. Now, Jeremiah, I want showing you, I'm showing you from Jeremiah how internally we, there are kingdoms that need to be torn down within us. So, go back to John, 3 John. 3 John, chapter 1. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health. That's his first statement. God wants you and I to enjoy good health. Then he says, and that all may go well with you. So things now will follow you when you've got good health. Even as your soul is getting along well. So that your soul now is coming into prosperity. As you start planting, your soul gets along well. It develops and it gives me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness. Now, people, now your life's being observed by others. Now, he says, they come to tell me that you've got great faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. And then the total summary of all that is, he says, you know, it gives me, only a father could say this. He says, uh, uh, John says, you know, it gives me great pleasure to see the people that I love and I'm raising walking in the truth. You know, if you want to make your pastor's heart really glad, then let him see that you're walking in the truth. Now, first of all, if you're his child, then you'll be my child. Then, so as a shepherd, I can say, my children. I hope that phrase doesn't affect you, doesn't offend you. But as a pastor, as a shepherd, children is part of the, the deal. It gives me great pleasure as a pastor praying for you and seeing you respond and seeing how God answers those prayers and how you are walking to the truth. And it thrills my heart to see that you're walking in the truth. So I consider you one of my children in that sense, spiritually speaking. I'm not saying you're children infants, I'm saying mature children. So when we walk in the truth, our soul is in the light. Our soul is filled with light, I should say. And only then can we uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow, build and plant. And we plant by adding truth to our lives. Now, there's such a thing in psychology, you know, called positive psychology. Now, if it's positive psychology, there must also be a negative psychology. And positive psychology is when you tell, you know, like sports stars, they tell themselves that this, they tell themselves that that, and they psych themselves up. They call it positive psychology. That's not necessarily true. That's not truth they're filling themselves with. That's just good thoughts. When God speaks to us about his truth, it's truth. It's the Father speaking to you. 
When the psychologist tells you to use good positive thoughts, it's you speaking to you. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good in there, but I, like, I prefer that you and me walk by a higher level of truth. I don't conform my mind to the pattern or the image of this world. I conform to his truth. And that's what you also need and should uh, conform to. Now, let me take you to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. I am going somewhere with this, so please stay with me. If you're at home, please do not disconnect by being casual. You know, today I was on, I was on a webinar, and I understood today we was having a conversation with Paul. That's one of the elders here in the church. And we were saying how during this lockdown period, let me just digress for a second. I'm coming back. But I want to communicate to you the dream sentence to those who are listening farther, further afield. I'm realising that in this time of lockdown, this technology that we're using today is a godsend. And Tom, uh, I'm a cameraman here. It's been fantastic that we've got skills in the house to produce this. But you know what this technology does? This technology is great for a season. But this technology reduces most preachers to talkers. And most congregational members to casual listeners. You disconnect on the other side because you're at home. You can, go, you can go for a cup of tea. You can make a drink. You can make a sandwich. You can be casual. You can play this in the corner where you're doing other things. So there's a casual... And then you convince yourself that you're listening. But you're not listening... You're just doing the duty and you're playing it. I want you to stop what you're doing right now and connect with me in the camera. Because I have a job to keep you connected and you have a job to keep you connected with me. Because this is a spiritual message that we, you're receiving. It's not casual. This is our lives we're talking about. So let's come back to Hebrews 4.12 and let's read what he says. For the word of God is living. And it's active, sharper than any double sword. It penetrates even to dividing, what? Soul and spirit, joint and marrow. I know nothing in this world that can do that, only this word. If you cut me open, you won't find my soul and my spirit. You'll find bones, you'll find marrow, but you won't find my soul and my spirit if you open me up. But it's in there, nonetheless. So there's a word that God gives us to affect and penetrate that. No medicine on this earth can affect your spirit. Why? Because it, only God gave you that spirit. But there's a lot of medicine that you can take that affects your soul. It can make you, you know, they say, watch the side effects. It brings mood swings. That's your soul. So it says this, it judges the thoughts. Why? Because it's living. And, it, and the attitudes of the heart, that's your soul. Where there's no light, it needs to judge it so that new light comes on. Watch this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him. So there's the eyes of him and the eyes of your heart. If they're enlightened, you will connect to what he's saying. Now, the eyes from him whom we must give an account. This word is living. That's not the issue. The word is living, that means it's living, it's working somewhere. The question is, is it active in you? Living is here, but active means what's living is now working inside of me. So the word can be living and it can be beyond you. But to be active, it means it needs to be working in you and there's the problem with most Christians they accept the living word but the living word is never active within them so if it's living and active it has to be, go beyond the spoken word it has to become the living word and the, the doing word which makes it an active word within you and God must have the entrance to keep speaking into you so that it becomes living. So what the living word, if the living word only becomes living, but it never becomes active in you, it's no longer living. It's no longer living. It lives, some, it lives somewhere else. It's only alive when it becomes active. So everything thrives because of what is spoken and what is accepted. Everything dies because of what is, because of everything that is refused or ignored. 
So the word needs to be living and active within you. So we're going to wrap this thing up and I want to bring you to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5. And you may have read this verse before. But I want to bring you to a key, key, a fundamental key to keeping this word living and active inside of you. So that's where we're going to go. Just stay with me now as we bring this thing to a conclusion. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5. No one will be able... No, he's giving... God is speaking to Joshua about the next transition. About the next... Moses is dead. Now Moses is taking hold of the reins of Israel and this is God speaking to him and he gives him a very, very powerful instruction. And this is what I want to give you today. If you want the key to emotional intelligence, I'm about to give it to you right now. So if you listen and put your tea down and focus, God is about to give you a fundamental key that's going to bring your soul. You're going to tear down, you're going to destroy, you're going to overthrow you're going to build and you're going to plant. And this is how we do it through what I'm showing you now here in Joshua, through Joshua. Now, it says, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Now, I like that straight away. I'm in. I like that promise. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I know every Christian likes that verse. Be strong and courageous. Why do you need to be strong and courageous? Because you're going to face some stuff. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to, your, to their forefathers to give them, to give to them, sorry. Be strong and very courageous. So courageous, now it's very courageous. Be careful to obey. Well, here we go now. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. No, I want my soul to be successful. I want it to prosper. I want to be in good health. I want good soul health. I want to walk in the truth. But here he's telling me that be careful to obey the law my servant, your, um, the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from the right or to the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. Now let's... Let's look at what that success is attached to. It's attached to what Moses taught them. Do not let the book, oh here we go now. Do not let the book of the law depart from your, where? Not your bookshelf. Not your phone. Not a CD. Not the internet. He says don't let this book depart from your, what? Mouth. Mouth is the key thing here I want you to see. Now watch. Here's the next word. So the mouth. And then he says meditate. On it day and night. So the mouth and meditate. So the mouth is going to be the gate that's going to open the door and confess some stuff. And the meditation is going to be the inlet and the mouth's going to be the outlet. So the mouth, what you speak and what you think on and what you think about is going to be, is going to be synergizing together. So there's what he says. So that you may be careful to do everything within it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Do you realize, my friends, that your prosperity and your success is dependent upon you? Well, hang on a minute, I thought it was God. Well, he's already told you here. If you use your mouth and you meditate, this will become the result of your prosperity and your success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Wow. Wow. Meditate. Meditating is one of those things that most Christians neglect. It's something that we've totally abandoned in the church today. We tend to read, we tend to glimpse, browse, we might search for something, but we don't ponder and meditate on the things that we're hearing and reading. So the result of this means we never discover. 
We never dig deeper, we never learn, we never uncover, we never discover, we never find the treasure because we don't do that basic thing called thinking and meditating. No, because meditating causes us to think on things and things to be uncovered. It's the treasure that's hidden. Now, the trouble is when, if you live in the West, meditation is something that implies, it's twinned with intellect in the West. Now, if you're in the East, meditation is something where you empty your mind. So in the West, it's intellect. In, the, in Asia and the East, it's all about emptying your mind. Now, let me tell you this. Biblical meditation is neither the West or the East. It's none of those things. It's not about intellect, and it certainly is not about emptying your mind. Bible tells us to guard our mind. We don't open our mind and empty it and let anything in. No, 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 no. You must guard your mind. But we do need to meditate. Why? He said, don't let the, the book of this law depart from your mouth. It's key. And meditate on it. And then what you're meditating on, and speak it out. So what's coming in? You speak it out. So the eye gate, the ear gate, is all enforcing what you're thinking and seeing. So when the Hebrews, even today in Israel, you will see the Jewish people standing at the wailing wall and you'll see them doing this. Now, that word is called davening. Davening. Now, let me tell you now. So, meditation means to reflect, to mutter, to ponder, and to make a quiet sound. To contemplate something as one repeating the words. To reflect, to mutter, to ponder, to make a quiet sound, to contemplate something as one repeats the words. It's more than a mental exercise. Only in Hebrew thought to meditate upon the scriptures is to quietly repeat them in a soft, drowning sound. Yes, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. So when, you, when you're picking up the scripture, you know, you're reading. So let's go to Psalm 1 now. Let's go to Psalm 1, verse 1. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who, walk, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But, he delights in, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither and whatever he does prospers. So here I'm going to do some davening with you now for a minute. We're going to put our hands on our, on our hearts like this. And we're going to daven. So I'm going to get the word. And this is what I want you to do. You find the scriptures that speak and bring light into your spirit. And when you stand praying, you're not going to sit down like you used to do. You're now going to start walking with the scripture in your mind. You're going to read the scriptures and you're going to learn to pray and come into agreement with the spirit. And you're going to daven and you're going to... I'm not asking you to rock. I'm not going to ask you to rock, that's up to you. I'm just going to ask you to stand with your hand on your heart and I'm going to ask you now to start coming into alignment with what scripture reads and what scripture says. And you're going to, so you're standing there, you're going to say, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you're my father. Yes, Lord, I thank you, Lord. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Lord, I do not stand in the way of sinners or mockers. Lord, my delight is in you. Lord, my delight is in you. I thank you, Lord, that that I'm a blessed man. I delight in the Lord of, of the Lord, Lord and Lord, and I meditate on Your Word, Lord. It gives me joy, Lord. And now you're coming into agreement, and you're using your mouth. And as you're reading it, you're davening. Your spirit is hearing it. Your soul is coming into alignment. Your mind is all focused and aligned into this davening moment. You're meditating. You're thinking about it. You're speaking it into being. You're speaking it into being. So in Hebrew, the final, thought, the final thought is to meditate upon the scriptures and it's to quietly repeat. Now, you don't have to be quiet, but when they're stood at that wall, they're doing this and they're muttering under the breath, right? And from this tradition comes a special type of Jewish prayer, which we've now called 
davening. I learned this from Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson taught me this. So thank you, Bill, for your insight on this. That is, and they do that at the wall and they recite text. They recite the text. And this is what we're doing. We're reciting it. And we're using scripture and we're reciting it. And we're praying. And when they begin to get intense about it, that's when they begin to rock. Now, sometimes you pray generally. Other times you get really into your prayer. And that's the intensity. And it's at that point they start rocking like that. And that's what they call the davening. And so they, now watch this, in the davening that recites text, praying intense prayers or getting lost in communion with God. Wow. So when you're in the presence of God and you're getting lost, now you begin to speak the word and, you, and you, you're reading the word and you're interpreting it and you're making it personal. And you're not only making it personal, you're then confessing it over so many different arenas, over your family, over your, your city, over your, over your finances, over the church, over the leadership, over so many things. You then begin, the spoken word begins to come out and therefore now your whole soul is filled with light and everything within you moves to now the highest form, and which is the truth. And this in this communion, it feels like we're standing on a rock and we can't be shifted. And that's when the word comes in and so floods us that we feel unmovable, unshakable. Now, so when you see the... Now all that what takes place in Israel is linked to what David used to do in the temple. That was the worship that took place. Now you going into communion with God and worshipping him is that Davidic worship now flowing through you which we now see in Jesus Christ and in the spirit of God we have that realm. So blessed is the man who does not walk. I don't walk in that counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. But Lord my delight is in your law and the law and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams. I want to be planted. But to be planted I've got to do something. I'm like a tree that's planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season. Remember we said new seeds have to be planted so a harvest can come. Amen? Amen? So, Psalm 51 verse 6, the last scripture, I promise. Psalm 51 verse 6. Now we're going into Davenin and we're we're now going to ask the light of God to come into our soul so there's no dark corners. We want the light of God to expose us and this is what David was doing. At this point he was saying, I don't want any more dark corners in my heart. I want the full light. Lord, Lord floodlight me. Floodlight me. In other words, light me up inside. So watch this. Surely, oh God, you desire truth in my inner part. So as I'm davening now and I'm getting communion with God, I'm saying, Lord, surely you desire truth in my innermost parts. Lord, you know those innermost parts because your word is living and it's active. I ask you now, Father, to penetrate me. Penetrate my soul, my spirit, my mind, my emotions, Lord. Expose everything. Lord, let the word now become active within me. Let it become active within me. And then he says, Lord, teach me wisdom in the innermost place. Now you're going deeper. Now the word can come closer and closer to you. Lord, I receive the wisdom. I receive your wisdom in the innermost place. And then he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. I thank you, O oh God, for your word. It's, 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 it's cleansing me, Lord, right now. I thank you that you are cleansing me. I thank you, Lord, that you're washing me. I thank you, Lord, that I will be whiter than snow. Better than any washing powder. Let, what's this? Let me hear joy and gladness. Watch, watch. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Wow. Wow. So the, bo- the joint and marrow that came under pressure because bad physical health, bad soul health. Now they're beginning to rejoice. So everything within you now is beginning to arise and come to a new position the whole this is a picture of the whole internal part of David's life is now beginning to flourish all because he's davening with God <laughs> let my, my the bones you've crushed because he realized he was a sinner and he he committed sin he'd murdered he committed adultery and here now the prophet comes in speaks to him floodlights him whoa floodlights him David's heart's exposed, no more dark corners. And here's David now saying, Lord, against you did I sin. Now, Lord, bring that truth into me. 
Now it's, so the truth that the prophet spoke was living, but now it needs to be active. Now it needs to be activated in me. So watch, from my mouth it's living. It can be living from me to that camera. But beyond that camera, now it has to become the living, active word. So, verse 10, creating me a pure heart. Lord, I want a clean heart. I want a pure heart. I don't want a clean heart. I just want a pure heart. Because if it's pure, it's more than clean. And then he says, God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Wow, do we need to say any more? Do we need to say any more? He's just said it. Renew a spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Ghost from me. Restore to me, restore to me the joy of my salvation from your presence. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now watch what he's going to do when all that's coming in. And you keep praying. One prayer doesn't fix all this, but this is the lifestyle so the more truth that comes in and the more it exposes you and the more it exposes more things about your life and around you and things you need to do, the more you can daven with God. And keep the, and you get, the more intense you get, you begin to do this. But you must speak. The mouth is key. Meditation is key. What I think about, I must speak. What I speak, I must think about. And then he says this, and I will teach transgressors. There's the proof now that it's becoming active. And I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God. The God who saves me and my my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Singing is a key part. Lord, open my lips, open my mouth, and my mouth will declare your praise. You will delight in sacrifice. I would bring it to you. Do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Humility. Do not think of yourself more highly. But, but, humility. Watch this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Not a broken soul, a broken spirit. It's in the right order. Watch. Oh God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build your up the walls in Jerusalem. See, there's that inner kingdom. Now rebuild the walls on the inside that were torn down and destroyed and overthrown. Now, Lord, build. And as I build, I must plant. See the see the, the beautiful conclusion internally. Build it inside me. Let Zion, the Zion within you, prosper right now, so that your soul will prosper. And the walls of Jerusalem, the Zion, the new heavenly Jerusalem, the new Zion that's within you, let it be rebuilt by planting new seeds. There will be the brightness, so that then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. In the Old Testament, God sent the fire, but it was the priest who need to make the sacrifice. And the moment there's no more sacrifice, the fire stops. God lights the fire. You must keep the sacrifice open. Well, I've said a lot, and I'm going to finish, and I'm going to pray for you right now. I pray that you will enjoy the experience of davening with the Lord. You're going to go into an intense time. We're going to get this soul of yours. We're going to get it healthy. We're going to get it Fix. You know why? Because not not only are we going to pray that you have good physical health, we're going to pray that you have good soul health. Why? Because we're going to live only because you're walking in the truth, and it's that truth that gives people like me no greater joy than to see you, the Dream Center, walking in truth. Until I see you again, just bow your heads with me right now. I'm going to pray, Father. I thank you for this word. And like David discovered, there was an inner river to be untapped. Here David's soul and his mind was completely fractured and fragmented. And the moment you floodlit him, oh God, the moment you floodlit him with truth and you exposed him through your word, the living word then became active within David. And I pray right now, wherever you are, whoever you are right now, that this word moves from living to active. 
And I pray that this week you will have a floodlit experience with the truth. And that from this floodlit experience, you will begin to take the scriptures and you will begin to meditate on it because this is key to your prosperity and to the prosperity of your soul. And I pray every day you will read and every day you will confess, you will speak what you read. And you will find the time and you'll find the place to do it day in and day out. And I pray then I will see a prosperous soul. Until next week, take care. God bless. Remember, Jesus has invested everything inside of you in your body. So take care of it. Amen. God bless.